the ball, he made it! Welcome back to the International Players Anthem Soccer Podcast. My name is Ramon Ramirez. With me, as always, on the other line in Bartlesville, Oklahoma, Dr. Stephen Whiting. Stephen, season's greetings to you, sir. What's going on? Thank you, sir. Just making my list and checking it twice. Uh, Working on political rants from the heart. Uh, You know, mostly American-related, but... You know, I've got I've got other interests. I, I digress. Ramon, it's it's Christmas time, but more importantly, it's Star Wars time. It is Star Wars time, Stephen. I'm glad you asked that. I uh, it's we're recording this on Friday, December 18th, and it is 9:30 in the morning. I actually woke up at 4:30 in the morning and saw a 6 a.m. screening here in Austin. Austin is a city with a lot of alternative and hippie hipster type folks, which means that uh, the indie movie theater, the Alamo Draft House, which really is one of the most pleasant places on earth, um, is doing like a nonstop Star Wars marathon thing. So I caught a 6 a.m. screening because uh, just knowing myself, had I seen it late last night, I would have I would have fallen asleep. So just saw it. Uh, for what it's worth, you know, I'm kind of uh, I'm kind of blown away in that. Now this is just first reaction, no spoilers, but uh, you know this this franchise needed a Pete Carroll to just come in and to just clap on the sidelines. He needed like an optimist and a humanist to just get you excited. And more than anything, he just he needed pace and tempo. It needed a, it, it just it just needed a, 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 a Miguel Herrera job to just come in, attacking football, beautiful, fluid, fast moving. You don't have to think about it too much. And then because it has so much invested in its human beings, the emotional cliffs and, and peaks and valleys are are pretty intense. Now, Stephen, have you seen this movie, and do you are you going to see this movie? And do you even like Star Wars? I have not seen this movie. I will not necessarily see this movie, and I don't like or dislike Star Wars. I'm relatively indifferent. I have seen the original Star Wars, like the very first one, uh, but I could not tell you a whole lot about the plot. Well, look, I have seen one of the newer ones. Okay, so I think. so yeah, I mean the newer ones are you know anti art are terrible are like like you know they they sucked horribly. George Lucas lost his edge. He also had nobody challenging him on, on like any of the shit, and so he got to do whatever he wanted, and it was an embarrassment. He also it was a movie that was filmed. Uh, you know, just like again, the soccer parallel, right? He's the he, almost kind of like a a Bob Bradley on the sidelines, in the sense that he mm-hmm. he he showed no emotion while directing it. He was just kind of sitting there with his coffee cup. He filmed everything on like two cameras, so it was like camera one, camera two, and like the the whole movie was set up like a play, but it was like awkward and it was slow and it was clunky and it it like all the prequels had like. Everything being explained like on a couch, they just like characters would be just sitting on a couch talking to each other. It was just eh, all of the shit, and then he didn't even really show us anything interesting. You never saw 
like young Darth Vader becoming powerful. He just was all of a sudden powerful. It was just, it was just, um, it was ghastly, bro. It was awful. But the, the, the thing is like, and I'm just going to tell you this right now, Steven, because this is, this is, you know, we're on the eve of this, like this will be unavoidable. This movie is one spoiler. I'm going to spoil it for you right now, unless you want me to stop. Nope. Go ahead. They, they kill Han Solo in this movie, bro. Oh man. Poor Harrison. He gets, he gets stabbed right in the chest by his son. And, uh, and it's funny as soon as the movie ended. I mean, you know, Star Wars, and I may be a bit of a Star Wars nerd. I haven't seen a Star Wars movie in ten years, um, partly because the prequel sucks so much, and I just kind of like was like, "Oh, this sucks. Uh, why would I see this again?" Mm-hmm. But you had all these fanboys just sitting there, like, "Oh God, they just killed Han Solo, man!" And the lights came on, and everyone was kind of just like bummed out and kind of sad and kind of like, you know, the human experience is suffering. And the past is a grotesque animal, and that's all that there is. And uh, there is no running away from our eventual demise, and heroes will fall. So it was really good. It was really good, man. And and then, you know, again, we talked about this earlier, but this was a movie that was like, it was a, it, you know, it was a Disney movie. So it's a movie that exists to sell you toys and to sell you merchandising, to sell you Halloween costumes and Halloween masks and, and Disney World rides. And despite that, you know, there was room for art and room for some resonance, and it was it was good shit. So, um, that's that's my Star Wars review. Let's, I, you know, let's let's move forward just a little bit now. Another big thing that we're going to talk about before we get into the soccer. Now, Stephen, I've got to congratulate you. Your Oklahoma Sooners are in the national championship. They're playing the one-four matchup against Clemson on New Year's Eve. Um, where are you at? Tell you what, uh, we did a bowl podcast last year. Uh, me, you, Evan, and uh, Blake. And you guys were kind of incredulous when I told you that I thought Clemson would wipe the floor with uh, with OU, and they did. Uh, which I think more, had more to do with just that you know when <laughs> when you come to the University of Oklahoma, the Russell Athletic Bowl isn't isn't really where you want to be on Christmas. Uh, Christmas vacation, but uh, I think that I, I'm a little surprised, Ramon. I don't know how you feel about it. That OU is a three and a half point favorite today. That that surprises me a little bit. Well, it's it, I mean, it's a brand thing. It's also uh, you know Clemson succumb and and sort of like all you know they had they've had moments where they've been shaky. They've been they had games against like North Carolina and 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 North Carolina State even. Where they've been on shaky ground, but more than that, you know, Deshaun Watson's a young guy. He's a relative unknown. People just don't feel that that connection to Clemson, and, and also, you know, the reputation. Those that do, it's well, Clemson's eventually going to blow it. They're going to lose a game at some point. So it's it's kind of like Clemson when like good Clemson. Yeah, it's like when you know, I think in March Madness, Virginia got a one seed, and we were all like, yeah, no, I'm not going to put them in my Final Four when I fill up my bracket. Um, mm-hmm. So I think I think that's where that comes from. And so that comes from, do you feel confident betting on this game? Now, I like this Clemson team a lot. I think Deshaun Watson, um, I think people are underselling his accuracy and underestimating his deep ball, which is the prettiest in college football. And I think that's I think yeah. that's going to be a problem. The other thing is that Oklahoma, though, maybe the hottest team of the bottom four. And the best, probably, you know, not the best because of Derrick Henry, but damn good running game. So 
Uh, yeah, I mean it, it's a toss up. I do like I do I do think Clemson uh, Deshaun Watson is is the difference maker, and and they have the best yep. defensive line in college football. But that's where I'm at. I don't know. What well, I, I, you tell I, me. Yeah, I'll, you I, tell I me. think Clemson's going to win this by a touchdown. Yeah, personally. Yeah, uh, I think that it, you kind of hit on all the points. Deshaun Watson, I it shocks me how uh, little respect he gets. I, I I don't think there's a better quarterback. Maybe Trevon Boykin when he's healthy. Uh, those those are my top two guys in the in the in the game right now. Um, but Deshaun Watson I think, does yeah, that the thing. Defensive line. I, I just want one last point. You know, I'm I'm so sorry to, to to interrupt your thunder, but you know, rolling back the clock to ten years ago when the Texas Longhorns got to the national championship. And that year, what Vince Young did that Sean, that uh, Deshaun Watson is doing right now is, yeah. you know, he's making college linebackers shit their pants, and he's making guys move up and making guys spy, and he's finding that seam route. He's finding that like intermediate deep to deep seam route and just burning people with it. Um, and I, so I think that makes that that that's a, a dynamic in college football. You know, you can't take that to the pros. Uh, but you you can really really have some fun with that in college football, and he's got it. So I, I think that makes Clemson really really tough to defend at the college level. So I'm sorry to interrupt. Yeah. No, I mean I, I first of all I think Clemson's going to win it all. I think that Alabama, like last year, is vastly overrated. Uh, they do not have a quarterback. I expect Michigan State to either win that game or lose by a field goal. I mean I think it's going to be, you know, a 20 to 17 type game. Um, but, I, I mean, Michigan State is used to playing physical teams. Michigan State's weakness is not stopping the run. It's, it's uh, their secondary. So, you know, sure, if, if you think Jake Coker can beat us, by all means, go for it. But, I mean, he really didn't play well in the SEC title game. Um, so I'll leave that there. I think, I think we're going to have Clemson-Michigan State final. I think Clemson's going to win it all. Uh, but even if Clemson faces Alabama, that scheme really struggles with mobile quarterbacks. Always has. Over the last couple of years, we saw it with Ohio State last year. We saw it with Trevor Knight in the Sugar Bowl uh, two years ago. And uh, I just think in terms of Clemson and OU that, you know, people forget that OU was breaking a brand-new offensive line that kind of came together a little bit down the stretch. But they also faced Baylor without their starting quarterback. They faced TCU without its starting quarterback. They faced Oklahoma State without its starting quarterback. So... I just think that, that, yeah, the brand, and we talked about this last year when TCU got left out, that, you know, had it been an OU or Texas, they would have been in, and they would have, deservedly so. This year, I think that OU, you know, certainly deserves to be there with, I mean, they're the Big 12 champions, but uh, I, I think they're getting a little too much love for the brand. Uh, yeah, I tend to agree, and I actually agree. I, I think um, I think Michigan State should feel good about Alabama, um, and either way, uh, I think I think this is Clemson's year. I, I, I just think that team is... Uh, yeah. Fire on all cylinders, uh, which is kind of amazing. You know, I was taking a shit the other day, and I apologize for being crass, but I, I looked at the uh, little basket <laughs> of magazines by the shitter, and I picked up the the, the like summer preview of college football, and and Clemson was like preseason top twenty barely. Um, so it's it's pretty remarkable they've been able to just mature so much and and and, and be as good as they are. Uh, and and yeah. that's why you know if if you get Michigan State Clemson, you're gonna you're gonna think man Michigan State just beat Alabama full of seniors connor cooks a first round draft pick and you're gonna I, you know that'll be like a, a three three point line but yeah i think clemson is the real deal all right let's talk about soccer steven and and uh the game that we love and, and you know we've been off for about a month now it's but the the soccer certainly hasn't been it has been fast paced it has been um yeah. just 
every lots day. Lots of happenings. Lots of shit happening. But it also gets to that point at the end of the year where you're just tired and you're just kind of, you know, uh, exhausted and your fantasy teams are sucking and, and losing. And all of a sudden, you know, Andy Dalton breaks his thumb and you lose a bunch of fantasy games all in, all in like one swoop. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, all right. The MLS final. Portland, Columbus. Now, Stephen, I have, to, I have to be honest with me. Did you watch this game? I did, believe it or not. I watched, Which yeah. It doesn't I, happen very often with me. Usually I have to lie to you about... Uh, no, 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 no. Uh, I, watched, I watched every minute of that game, and I'll do you one better. I, I went to an MLS Sunday final watch party at my, at, our, at my buddy Kevin's house. My buddy Connor, myself, Kevin, and he convinced some other coworkers from work. He like had a, uh, had a barbecue at his house, and we just watched this game. Um, it's interesting because you watch the Portland Timbers win that game 2-1, uh, handily playing an excited, fluid, uh, brave, uh, opportunistic brand of soccer. And, and the game ends, and you think, okay, well, that's maybe – congratulations, Portland Timbers. You, you might be the 50th best team in the world. And mm-hmm. that's – I think that's a feeling that still kind of gets at us at Americans because we like to say world champs. We like to say world series. How did, right. you, how did you feel watching the Portland Timbers win it all? That's a good question. I I felt like in terms of, I thought the quality was really good. Um, I I thought there was a good pace to the game. I thought it was pretty embarrassing the way that the linesman missed the, was it the second goal, I think, for Portland? Um, With the the ball going out of bounds, like clearly out of bounds and not like blowing it, and then they go down and score. I thought that was pretty embarrassing for a championship game uh, to have a gaffe like that. But in terms of what you're looking for, in you know, with the uh, with 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 excitement, I mean, can you beat a goalkeeper goal in the first ten seconds? I mean, this game really took off. Now, uh, I thought the atmosphere was great. I thought uh, from a television standpoint, they did well. Um, so there was certainly room for improvement. But you know, I I just wish that Columbus hadn't uh, you know tried to pull the home field advantage card and had let uh, whatever Timbers Joey or whatever his name is, in, so you know what I mean because they wouldn't they didn't let him in with the chainsaw no chainsaws allowed which kind of sucked I mean like that's that's one of the reasons you want Portland to make it is so you can see the dude hacking away on a log but uh, I would give it a B minus probably in terms of uh, quality of play and you know like television coverage does that make sense I, I feel like. Uh, I will say this, like, you know, we've talked about soccer in the United States in terms of, you know, an accessible product for the last two, two and a half years now. And for me, the number one thing, and you'll, you'll hear Don Garber say this, uh, you know, all the time, the MLS commissioner, that it's all about television. I mean, they're, they're all in on television, and that's what's going to make or break this league uh, going forward is their ability to keep pulling in television revenue. So obviously the, the huge deal they signed over the summer – uh, was a great, um, you know, boost for them. But uh, I still think they've got a ways to go. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, was the quality of the product on the field worthy of a championship game? And in many ways, I'd say it was better than a championship game because when we get into these high-stakes global soccer games, teams freeze up and tense up and everybody plays back and nobody wants to make a mistake. And here, nobody was afraid to make a mistake. And, you know, he was the GOAT. But he was also a borderline hero. The, save, the saves of the game really went to the Columbus keeper. 
um, despite the the just the, the the fuck up and clearing the ball that resulted in the opening goal. So, yeah, I, th- I think it was just an engaging, brave game and a, a worthy champion. Now, you see sort of where U.S. soccer is even relative to North America because one of its players uh, was immediately poached off and signed by Santos Laguna. Um, so, you know, I love I, lo- I, I love the product. And I enjoyed every minute of it, but I, I do. It, it you can't separate the fact that if you're a soccer fan and you've seen you know Barcelona and Juventus in the Champions League final this sun this summer, there's just an ocean of skill. Um, so it's 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 that's that's what they got to deal with is is you know you, you pull up an MLS team in FIFA 15 and their their players are like in the 70s, you know what I mean? And you or you can pull up Brazil or Argentina, yeah. you know. And I think and that that's 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 still tough for MLS, you know. Um, it's hard to fake that, but. All right, that's that's a problem that every league has in the world. Um, the, the problem is, you know, like the Danish league. Yeah, I mean, if you're not England or Spain, Spain, really, Germany, point, and and Germany to some extent, yeah, you're you're fighting an uphill battle. I mean, you yeah. think about Portugal. Yeah, you but, know, yeah, if we get Porto Benfica, that's a great game. Uh, you know, that's kind of the the uh, you know Galaxy versus Red Bulls. You know, if you will. In terms of you know general interest outside of maybe the sport itself, but um, I, I think that yeah, I mean I mean you're onto it. But you know as we keep look at look at where the level of play went up just this year by importing Drogba and Giovinco. I mean I mean it's it's crazy. And then Portland goes and loses one of their best players immediately after this. Uh, I think you just referenced it. Santos goes and buys um, uh, Via Franca or Via Franya, the the wing back for uh, for Portland. So I mean, I think that right now, until the United the United States is kind of a feeder league for Mexico to some extent, to either Mexico or the Championship in England. And I mean, but you look at where they've come in the last five years, and it's growing rapidly. I mean, you're you're pulling players like Giovanni dos Santos out of Mexico. Yeah, that's or, a, that's you know, a, that's like a huge these deal. are guys that typically would go home. Yeah. So. Well, you know, I, I guess one, one final thought there is, uh, you know, Denmark is perfectly fine being the Danish league. You know, in America, yeah. we want to be a, a power, and that that's a ways off. But you're right, Giovinco was the centerpiece of this of this year, Gio Dos Santos to a lesser extent. Um, but still... Well, think about it. Oh, go ahead, go ahead. We haven't heard much about Gio or Steven Gerrard or Frank Lampard. Or even Andrea Pirlo. Like, people forget they even came over here because that's how big of a year Giovinco had, and that's how how good Drogba was when yeah. he came over. Yeah, that's exactly what... what but see, I, I want to ask you. I mean, on the one hand, yeah, Giovinco in his prime, Italian Italian stud coming and killing it. On the other hand, old-ass Drogba coming and killing it. What does that say about the level of competition he's facing? Well, I think it's I think it's twofold. I think, number one, it just shows how freakishly good Didier Drogba was in his prime. Like... I was actually talking to a coworker of mine who's from Algeria last night about, uh, you know, European soccer, and you know, like when you watch a guy like Didier Drogba, you realize, like, damn, he was not only you know a great technical player, but just like what a physical beast he was to go and do the things he did in England, and even you know remember when they went on that run in 2012 where he literally just took over in the Champions League. I mean, we're talking about the best teams in Europe, and he is just manhandling folks. Like, you know, you don't lose that. So, yeah, there's a step down. But I think what what Drogba coming over here, and even Giovinco to some extent shows, is that, like, we have the technical play. I think that the, you know, the the dribbling skill, the, the passing, the ability to put forth, you know, offensive moves, 
Uh, the MLS has that. What they don't have still are the like truly premier echelon of athletes. Not that there are bad athletes in MLS, but we're talking about Didier Drogba is like a LeBron James caliber athlete. I mean, we're talking the top 1% of athletes in the world, regardless of sport. Drogba goes in that. You know, that's, that's a LeBron James. That's a uh, Odell Beckham Jr. type category. So I think that, that the tendency, though, with Drogba, with how effective he is, is to kind of say, wow, look at the golf here. But, I mean, keep in mind, Didier Drogba scored against Manchester United last year. You know, I mean, it wasn't that long ago. So, you know, I, I don't think if it were, if it were just a, a technical thing, a speed of the game thing, Steven Gerrard would have had a bigger year. Frank Lampard would have had a bigger year. Andrea Pirlo would have had a bigger year. It's, it's much more about the, the, the ability, the physicality, the top-end speed. You know, do you know how to, to out-muscle somebody? Or, you know, if, if we're going pure athleticism, there are going to be guys that come over here and, and just are freaks. I mean, I think that Chicharito is somebody who's kind of on the edge of that category. I think if he came over here, considering what he's doing to some of the best teams in Europe right now, He'd probably be thirty goal guy. I mean, it just yeah. is what it is. So. Yeah, yeah. Chicharito is the uh, he's the Chris Carter of uh, of soccer, right? All he does catch touchdowns. Um, yep. That's all. That's all he does is just score and score and score. Uh, he he has a knack. He's a he's, he's just he's he's one of the great poachers of the last couple of years. Um, all right. What do you think it says about the Louis Van Hall era at Manchester United that they've let Chicharito go? They let uh, Oh, who's the other one that's scoring? Uh, oh, I'm totally blanking. Who all did they let go? Oh, Nani has played pretty well in, Nani, in Turkey. Van Persie, um, uh, dude. I mean, you know, I don't, I don't. Chicharito was he wasn't considered a, a a guy that would start for Manchester United. I think that was the issue. You know, he was just considered a solid B player. There's a, a camp of smart soccer people that just think he's nothing but a product of the system. And I think he had some bad – he did not look good in the sort of quick trial that he got for Louis Van Hall. So, you know, I get it. I, I, don't, I don't fault him for, for, for ditching him. I do think Real Madrid probably wishes they hadn't, they hadn't just let him go. I think, I think that was the big yeah. mistake, you know, because he was just such a cheap asset for them. Um, and, but, and that's what I haven't understood. I mean, I know that he didn't score regularly in England uh, the last, what, two, three years, but that also was mostly down to the fact he didn't have the opportunity to. Because we saw last year at Real Madrid, yeah, he rode pine for the first half of the year, but then when the injuries started mounting up and you put him on for more than 30 minutes, oh, looks like somebody knows how to find the net. You know, that, I, that's just one of those things I've never understood. I mean, if you watch Chicharito play, it's clear that he is a, a true talent. You know, even with Mexico, I, you know, you felt like he was getting a raw deal when he didn't see as much of the field uh, under under Herrera. Under Herrera, uh, under, under everybody. I mean, and, you know, and, that, and that's the thing about, uh, that. you know, he's about to become Mexico's all-time leading scorer. And mm-hmm. yet he's his position within his own national team in his prime has never been solidified. And so, yeah, you're right. I mean, he's just a, he's undersized and he's... You know, I, I have a friend that works for the Mexican national team that told me privately that he he doesn't get along with a lot of the other players uh, because it's not that he sees himself as bigger than the team, uh, far from it, but it's that he he likes to party, he likes to drink, he likes to hang out, he likes to engage with female fans, but he also likes mm-hmm. to keep his air of being 
you know, a good guy and, and a, a, a good person and a, and a holy person. And so that is seen as kind of phony. And so he's rubbed some guys the wrong way. And so uh, that's why players don't mind seeing guys like Uribe Peralta who, I mean, you can tell that dude is going to win the game and then have a bunch of beers and, yeah. you know, pass out in a, on a couch somewhere. And, and I think, I, I think, I think, I think that's, that's been, you know, I, I think that's, that's cost him a little bit is that, you know, on the field, he's 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 the little holy guy, but he's still he's still you know the, the people don't like that he has an image to maintain. So anyway, all right. Yeah. Sp- speaking of Mexican, speaking of Mexico, I just want to touch on this very quickly because it was, uh, you know, it was the year of Tuca Ferretti. You know, we're doing our year end soccer podcast here, manager of the year in Mexico in North America. Tuca Ferretti uh, sort of builds up the best Mexican team and that we've seen in quite some time. The Tigres, a team based out of Monterey, goes down to um, goes down to the Copa Libertadores, which is a South American tournament with with all the major clubs across all the South American countries. Beats everybody, gets to the final, loses the final, but you know, it, it almost feels like a win because the team yeah. the, the team was seated enough to host the final leg of the game of the of the of the two leg. Final, but because by rule the championship has to stay in South America, River Plate got to kind of like get a get a huge home field advantage, and um, and sort of rally to a win there. But it, the point is, he built a really good team. He manages the Mexican national team for like three games, beats the USA with the trip to the Confederations Cup on the line, and then blows a three nothing lead against Pumas in the final, uh, only to just kind of win it on penalties. So you know this was Tigres' year and. For all of the, you know, uh, there there are like Mexican soccer writers that were like, hey, you know, could Tigres compete in the Premier League? Could they compete in Spain? Could they could they play against X team? X team, you know, those are fine hypotheticals, Maybe. but but the reality is that they hadn't won anything. So it was nice to see them actually win a title. Now that said, you know, I'm a Pumas fan. My whole family Pumas fans. I was so excited to see Pumas beat America. I was so distraught to see Pumas go down three nothing, especially you know that the first leg of the final that they're down three nothing. I'm at a sports bar, and they don't even have the game. Like they they can't even put on the game, so I had to stream it like an asshole. And uh, and then I didn't even get to, I didn't even I didn't like that Sunday night game. The Patriots played the Texans, and my wife and I were there, and so I I had to miss the final. And I get out of the final, and there's holy shit, it's three to two, and I'm following it on my phone, and holy shit, it's three to three. And then after all that, when I finally turn on the game, they lose a penalty. So, you know, it is what it is. Um, but a fun ride, and 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 it was it was cool to see, you know, a guy like you know Andre Pierre Signac who left Marseille in his prime yeah. to go to Mexico, uh, get rewarded with with some hardware. So I enjoyed that. Now speaking of, uh, well, speaking of leaving, speaking of hardware, speaking of you know like what the fuck's going on, I I have to get your thoughts. On Jose Mourinho's firing, I, 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 you know, on the one hand, I'm, I'm kind of happy to see this team. I, I feel like a lot of these players, guys like Eden Hazard, are, are free, right? They're, they're free to roam. I feel like, uh, I, we, as a fan and as someone that doesn't care about Chelsea, it's nice. I'm gonna enjoy watching them play a little more openly. But it seems like the guy got a raw deal. Yeah, I mean, I think yes, no. I think that at this point, something had to be done, and you know, you, what what are you going to do? You, you're paying these players so much money that, uh, you know, I think I think Mourinho had to go. 
I don't know. And, and I think the thing, too, is we don't know exactly what happened. We don't know who's truly at fault here. Did Mourinho do something over the summer that, you know, just, you know, that was it? That was the last straw for half the squad? Or, you know, are these guys just, you know, looking for their next paycheck and their next party? You know, we, we just don't know. But, you know, long story short, something had to be done. It's clear that he's not going to be able to turn it around. Uh, short of benching half his squad, which, I mean, I'm a little surprised he never did. I'm I'm a little surprised we didn't see an average age of 19 out on the field because at that, I mean, at, at what point do you just scrap it? But um, you know, I think that it had to be done. I think the more interesting question is what happens next with Mourinho? Where does he go? I mean, he's coached at basically the biggest club in every country but France. I don't. I can't see him going to France. No, um, no. So maybe does he go international? I don't know. I just don't want to see him like in China, washed up somewhere. I want to see him take a you like know, Scolari. I, I want to see him take a good team and then just get back into the Champions League and just be competitive. Um, if I'm being honest, I really want to see him go to Swansea. Oh, that'd be awesome. I just want to see him pissed that, off. Wouldn't that be fun? Just to spite everybody. It'd be incredible. I just, I just want to see him pissed. I want to see him pissed. And I, I like, I like him as a sideline personality too much, to, uh, to not yeah. just want to see him somewhere, you know, lighting a fire. Um, I don't, I don't want to talk too much about the Premier League here because you know it's ongoing. We're less than halfway through. Uh, you know, shout out to Leicester City. Enjoy that while it lasts. But I do want to talk about the Champions League since we touched on it. We have the draw. Okay. These legs are set for February 17th that week and March 8th that week. So coming up here, uh, you know, basically in two months. And I want to get your, your quick hit reactions to what, what we can expect and to what you think is going to happen. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go through the matchups, eight of these matchups in the Sweet right. 16, and I want you to tell me who's going to win. So first one, the Romanian club Ghent against Wolfsburg. What can you tell us here, Stephen? Uh, Wolfsburg. It's actually a Belgian club, Ghent. Uh, oh, oops. They, Sorry. Uh, are the first Belgian club in 15 years to make the Sweet 16. They also have a dual nationality Israeli-American on their roster who's represented Israel at every uh, level of, of competition but is considering switching to the United States and is, uh, would be a pretty good get for the United States. He'd be a very good young winger. I think he's only 21 years old. Um, but uh, should be Wolfsburg handily. I, I just don't see it. Uh, you know, Wolfsburg is a very solid squad. They're third right now in the Bundesliga, uh, which the Bundesliga is Bayern, Dortmund, and everybody else. So, uh, or excuse me, Wolfsburg's fourth. Erta Berlin, John Brooks, uh, for you U.S. national team fans, they're surprising third right now in the Bundesliga. But, yeah, it should be Wolfsburg in a, in a pretty simple match. Yeah. All right. Roma, Real Madrid. You know, Real Madrid, not as dominant as they've been in the last kind of two years. Maybe the last run for the Ronaldo rundown. Benzema is a distraction. Is there a case to be made for Roma? No. Yeah. <laughs> Next matchup. <laughs> Next matchup. Paris Saint-Germain and Chelsea. Uh, I really, you know, I, I don't know. Um, I, I, I lean PSG. I think this is PSG's best shot. Uh, probably their last deep run in this competition. It, you, know, I, I, you know, I think you've asked me this, what, three years now we've done this? For yeah. The Champions League. <laughs> is this PSG's? I'm always yeah. riding with Paris. 
Yeah. So, well, well, also, I mean, and this is the third year in a row where PSG is playing Chelsea. Now, this time they're playing much yeah. earlier in the tournament. Um, the wild card. Weird things happen in this game, though. Weird, weird things. Weird always things happen. happen in this game. Weird things happen. Also, you have to you have to consider the fact that Chelsea, with all the talent they have, with the new coach, could all of a sudden become red hot and very dangerous. So. Yeah. Just I'm about gonna anything. lean. Paris Saint-Germain. Yeah, but. I, yeah. I mean, Paris Saint-Germain is a team that can be expected to contend and to get to the final. I think I think Paris Saint-Germain has a chance to get to the final, and and they and they, they better. Oh feel, yeah, I completely agree. Yeah, yeah. They're 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 uh, about. In fact, it may be PSG and Bayern are the maybe the two best teams in this right now. I t- I, I completely. Agree. Well, you know, Barcelona. You have you have to you have to kind of bow a little bit there. Uh, speaking of which, Barcelona and Arsenal. What's going to happen? I'm going Arsenal. I'm going Arsenal. Don't hang up the phone on me. I'm going what? Arsenal. Come on. Why? Why? Yeah. What's 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 the hot I, take? I just I think that you know Barcelona just defensively is just. I mean they've played they've they've continued to get better. I mean where they were last year defensively was awful, but I I just think Arsenal has the technical prowess to kind of carve them. I think we're gonna have a barn burner. I mean this could be like a five five. Uh, aggregate here but I just think that Arsenal is probably aside from Bayern Munich the the most well-suited team to defend uh, you know Barcelona I think having Giroud up top who's a big physical presence I think having Sanchez being able to and Walcott even to be able to run on a counter you know against those moves that Neymar and, and Suarez and Messi put together is going to be big for them but I, I do think it'll be close I think you know really if if whoever comes out of this game for me is probably going to make a run at least into the final four and maybe even all the way to the final um you know draw notwithstanding obviously you know you will or will not get some luck handed to you in the draw but i think this is the year i mean i think a lot of people just expect arsenal to crash out um but i mean this is a big game they'll be up for and they are relatively healthy you know right now of course anything can happen as arsenal's you know always proves but think about it i mean if they're able to put together Giroud, walcott uzzle ramsey uh sanchez all those guys up front you know kashelny's still there murder still there uh bellarine has the speed to to run with neymar and suarez and messi yeah uh, they should be in really good shape i think this is a team that's pretty well suited to take down barcelona okay i i respect that i see that um, but I think I think Barcelona is too much. I mean, you're right. I, I, I think I, I agree with the narrative that Arsenal has a chance to really get back into into Champions League contention and to really get deep. It's too bad that they got Barcelona though, and 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 that's all we really need to say there. Well, right. I'll agree with that. But I mean, if you're going to win this competition, you got to go through a couple buzz saws. I mean, that's just the way it is. And I mean, Arsenal is the team that I picked to win the league. And hey, they're what in second right now. In the, in the Premier League, and you've got Chelsea, who's really a non-factor. You've got Manchester United, who's really a non-factor. I mean, I think this is a year, this is the year for, for, for Arsenal, personally. I agree, and you know what? I think it'll be a lot easier to win the league as soon as they don't have to worry about the Champions League. Um, I, I just don't, they, they just <laughs> Fair can't, enough. They, they can't be Barcelona. All right, again, this is another clash, clash of brands. But it shouldn't be a very close game. Juventus and Bayern Munich. What's going to happen? 
I think that Bayern Munich's just too strong. Now, they did just lose their center back, Mehdi Benatia, and Frank Ribéry, who popped his head up for like a game or two before he, he wrecked his, his frail little body again. But, I mean, they're just stacked. It's, it's Pep's, Pep's final run. Uh, I, I really don't think this will be as close as it was last year. Um, I think, that, I think that, that Bayern is going to walk through this fairly easily. They're, they're very healthy up top. You know, with the exception of Ribéry. I mean, Ribéry really isn't a factor because they brought in Kingsley Coman. They brought in Douglas Costa. Uh, you know, who knows? And, you know, we don't know if they'll go and get somebody in January. I mean, this is a team that maybe – could you imagine maybe Riyad Mahrez coming in and being on the other side of one of those guys? I mean uh, – I don't see that happening. They'll but, have a, they'll have a chance to. You know, they'll have, they'll have a chance to do that, yeah. absolutely. Um, all right. So, what about this? The, you know, next matchup on the docket. Um, these last three, and I'll go through them quickly because I feel like they should all be fairly one-sided, but you never know. PSC Eindhoven, Atletico Madrid. I think this is going to be a lot closer than people realize. Um, PSV, especially for any of you folks that follow the Mexican national team, is kind of stacked with with uh, Mexican internationals. Um, you know, I think Andres Guardado plays there, and uh, oh, who who was it that broke Luke Shaw's leg? Yeah, uh, the Herrera? yeah Hector Herrera. Um, yeah. No, not not Hector. Jesus, uh, I should know this guy's name. Um, something Herrera. But sorry, but I, the Herrera that doesn't play for Porto plays right. for PSV. But I mean, this is a this is a team that has a lot of technical ability. They've got. You know, it's really surprising how good they've played, considering that they sold Memphis to to Manchester United. But. Um, I think that that man or not Manchester that Atletico Madrid is kind of a good opponent for them. Um, Sorry, Heck, we, we were we were we were right we were right on Hector, but it's Hector Moreno was his name. That's on me. I, sh- I should know uh, that. Okay, yeah. that's what it is. All right, go ahead. But uh, I I think that that Atletico will probably have just a little too much. I mean, this is what Diego Simeone. This is where you pay him the big bucks. Uh, you know, let him grind out results. Against teams that maybe, you know, they have a slight edge on, whether it be, you know, tactically or or athletically. But I think this will be a lot closer than people realize. We'll we'll say two one aggregate to Atletico. Yeah, yeah, I I I agree. I think I think it'll be close. I think Atletico's pretty damn good though. Benfica, Zenit St. Petersburg. Um, who you like? This is really a toss up for me. I mean, I I really like both clubs. I think that that. You know, whoever comes out of this game has really got to be your dark horse pick to go deep. Um, I'm going to go with Benfica just because Zenit just seems to never be able to get over the hump. Um, they certainly played a lot better in the group stage of this Champions League than they have in the last couple of years. You know, I think the last two years they've got to the Sweet 16 by, you know, like setting the record low for points one to win a group or something like that. But, uh, yeah, I'm going to go Benfica. I, I just I love watching Benfica play. Um, basically, this is the club you want to watch if you want to know who's going to be the next superstar in five years. I mean, they, they always have three or four guys in their roster that are going to blow up. So I, I'm going to go Benfica here. All right. And lastly, the the Ukrainian team, Dynamo Kyiv, taking on perennial underachievers at this stage in the competition, Manchester City. Is this oh, – come on, it's Manchester City. I, I think this is it. I think Man City's got to get in. Now, that being said, I mean, I picked Man City to finish fifth in the Premier League for a reason. 
and they're starting to show why. I mean, without David Silva, they are a train wreck. They, they have to have somebody to call the shots in the middle of the field for them. You know, De Bruyne is a great player, but, you know, they need some sort of anchor to, to kind of keep it all together. And they've been playing without company, and they've been playing without Silva, and they've been playing without Aguero. Now, certainly those guys should be back in February, and they should run riot on Dynamo Kiev. But don't forget, this Dynamo Kiev team, I believe, beat the absolute shit out of Tottenham in the Europa League last year in, like, the semis or something. Um, I think that was two years ago. Last year, Tottenham lost to uh, an Italian club, to Fiorentina. Oh, maybe it was Everton that they beat the crap out of. It was like 5-1. But, uh, yeah, I think it was Everton. But anyways, Dynamo Kiev, I think, made the final of the Europa League last year before losing to uh, Sevilla. So um, this is a team that, because they play in Eastern Europe, typically goes under the radar, much like Shakhtar Donetsk does. And Shakhtar really pushed Bayern Munich last year during the first leg. Uh, That's where Douglas Costa was previously. But... Um, I, I think that, that Man City in February, if they play their cards, I mean, if I, if I was running Man City, I'd make sure that Aguero is healthy for Champions League. I mean, if I, well, even if I'm just Pellegrini, listen, the dude's gone after this year. I don't, I don't care if he wins the league and the Champions League. They're going all in on Pep. That's going to happen. So might as well get your Champions League medal and, you know, ride out of town to your next big gig. I like it. All right, Steven. The last thing we should probably discuss before we, you know, sort of pack it up, pack it in for the year, and this is this is perfect to close on because this is, you know, right right in the heart of the of of, of what this podcast is really a part of, a part, and that's about excuse me, and that's the ascent of soccer in the United States of America. Controversial comments from the great Abby Wambach. She just retired from soccer. She talked to Bill Simmons this weekend and basically said, "Hey, look, you know, I've had it with these foreign guys." Now, she said that in the context of criticizing Klinsman and criticizing the way that he has developed youth and the way that he's, you know, maybe, maybe you know, search for shortcuts as opposed to investing in what's already here. But she, she rubs some feathers on the list and makes Discaroon took to Instagram to basically, you know, say, hey, you know, like, watch who you're trying to marginalize. And then he had this really nice rant that, that didn't make any sense because his English is not very good. But his point, <laughs> his point landed – uh, and that's, hey, man, you know, we're, we're doing our best. We're Americans, too, and, uh, and we're pretty good soccer players, and we're the best, we're the best, we're the best option you got. Sorry, my dog. Penny, you're going to have to start barking. You're going to have to start barking, honey. Um, that, that, that's where we're at. That's where we're at. I like I, – I, I think his point I – think, I think the big point to make is that – well, I guess this is, this is a, an important question to post. I mean, I'll, just, I'll just go ahead and ask you right now. Do you think Abby Wambach has a point? I think that if if you guys haven't read what Abby Wambach said, go read it first before you judge what I'm about to say. I think that her larger point is that Jurgen Klinsmann is a disaster and he's doing more harm than good. And with that point, I agree with. Uh, certainly many things have been said about Klinsmann, uh, for better or worse, since he was hired on. I think that uh, and I'm going to start wide here and then focus in here toward the end, you know, in terms of directly at what, what Abby and Mick said. But I think when we look at Klinsman as a whole, I was definitely in that camp for the first two years that, you know, was all about being patient and let's see it. And, and, there, and then we saw the 13-month run where, you know, it was the most successful run in U.S. history. And we thought, okay, great. And then all of a sudden they fell off the cliff. Uh, you know, got lucky at the World Cup. You know, you can call it. 
whatever you want, but I think that it's clear they got lucky at the World Cup. I don't think that the selection was very well well done or you know effective at all from Klinsman. I thought that the tactics were poor, um, but we we got through, and you know that's like they say that's all that mattered. Um, and you know I think that Wambach, what she's pointing out and what she said, if you read the whole interview, was uh, if it were up to her. She said, I'd fire him. I mean, I don't think it's worked out. I think that, what, you know, why are we wasting our time? She was extremely critical of the youth setup. You know, I don't follow the youth setup well enough to know how accurate those comments are. And I don't know if what she's saying is as a whole or in effect about the women's side of the game. Because like it or not, Abby Wambach has an agenda. That I mean, it is what it is. She's fighting for equal rights, as well as she should, for men and women. And she's fighting for the United States to see soccer in the same light as many other countries. Uh, the way she went about it in terms of, you know, I, I think the point she was trying to make was, why, if we're so focused, Mr. Klinsman, on, on developing youth talent, are we, you know, not promoting young players to grow within the national team setup uh, you know, as, as opposed to importing folks to win now. And there's, I mean, that, that argument is always there, but, you know, and kind of the, anyone who, who read it that, you know, understands how the world works thought, well, okay, that's fine and all to have that. But the way she went about it, where she said that, you know, mixed discarude, Jermaine Jones, Fabian Johnson don't have a place here. You know, that's a little bit borderline, you know. I, you know, Lawless, Lexi Lawless has always said, you know, as long as you feel something when you sing that national anthem, you know, that's fine. That's great. You, you know, come play here. And I, I tend to agree with that. You know, it gets dicey. I'm not saying that mercenaries don't exist and that there aren't people who do that, but I don't know. I, I think that, uh, you know, I'm not really even going to touch on Mix's response. The fact that he responded is really all you need to know is that, you know, it, it was off base in terms of, you know, the way that that uh, her comments were, were interpreted, I guess, in terms of or the way that she executed them. But I think she has a point. The larger picture about Klinsman, she absolutely has a point. She should not have, have said it in that way, though. Yeah, I mean, I, and again, I think I think I think the issue is it is. Jurgen Klinsmann, because we've known for a while, we've known at least, I think every U.S. fan in their heart knows after the Mexico game, after that loss in October, okay, he's not he's not a manager that's going to take us to new heights. But at least no. he's at least he's doing big things with big picture thinking in the youth system. And now Abby right. Wambach saying he's not. He's not helping. And he's bringing in all of these quick-fix players. Um... Look, I see it as, you know, college football parallel that we love. He's on the recruiting trail. He's got new guys. He's filling roles. And the U.S. team, you know, Jermaine Jones, Aaron Johansson, Mix Discarude, uh, John Brooks, Fabian Johnson. I mean, I'm, those, I'm pretty glad those dudes are on our side. Uh, so I, 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 think, yeah. I, think she, I think she was wrong. But sure, Klinsman is not doing well. Um, all right, Stephen. It's, it's kind of like she did not say it. She didn't. She was not very eloquent in the way she presented the point, but she has a point. Yeah, 
Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll drink. I would say. I'll, I'll drink to that. Um, lastly, Stephen, you know, again, wrapping up the year here. Uh, we're going to – two quick things. Number one, I got to ask you, what do you want for Christmas in soccer terms? For me, it's fairly easy. I'm a Tottenham fan. I did not get a Pumas title. I want a top four finish for Tottenham. Now, Tottenham, the Spurs, the Hot Spurs had an excellent opportunity. They have five games in the month of December against the bottom of the table. Two weeks into that five-week project, they only have one damn point and have lost to the likes of Newcastle. So, you know, who the hell knows? I, I think I think unless they can win two, three in a row here, they're, they're not going to have the points. But that's what I want for Christmas. Stephen, what do you want for Christmas? I want a new U.S. Men's National Team soccer coach. Oh, my that's God. That's what I want. I want to see Klinsman. I just want like Cutter to come and hire him away or something, you know. Like, you know, let's let's not have like an acrimonious exit. Let's have Cutter come in and offer him like his own palace, you know, an offer he can't refuse, and and then let's just move on. I love it. All right, Stephen. And last, lastly, your red card of the year. Uh, you know, the 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 guy that really kind of ruined soccer for you in 2015. Um, who who is that going to be? I'm going to go with the English medical staffs and the just lack of awareness in terms of concussion protocol still. The fact that that has not caught up with even the United States in terms of at least recognizing that it's a problem. And if there's a head injury, you need to, to be pulled off. So I'm going to go with, with the with the lack of concussion awareness in, in England. That, that'll be my uh, red card of the week or year. Red card, I love that. For me, I think it's the Stalker Tabloid magazine. Um, kind of things coming to a head this week when uh, a Mexican rag reported that Jonathan Dos Santos was gay and did so in, in a, just a really yellow, sensationalist, unverified way, um, citing a bunch of like Instagram photos that proved nothing and just sort of like really indulging the the shitty part the darkness of of you know crappy journalism uh, so it's just sensationalist mm-hmm. bullshit and I didn't like it at all um all right Steve I think we did it man we we got through it we we did we, we you know how about pace how about tempo we did our thing international players anthem podcast Steven, you know we're still kicking around we're still doing our thing uh and and, and we'll see you in 2016 all right we're not, no. We bid our planes and our trains till we think we might die. Far from North America, where the buildings are old and you might have lots of mimes. Uh-huh, uh-huh.